So you got a whole uh, alpha team now, don't you? But you, but you have a wealth of knowledge that is beneficial to a lot of people, and it we can move the needle. How often do you hear a hunting podcast? We talked about this. People relate to this. Okay. What's up, everybody? I've got my good friend, uh, owner owner of Ultimate Predator Decoy, outdoor writer. Uh, for Bow Hunter Magazine, a bunch of other shit. Danny Ferris on the mic. All all around idiot. <laughs> uh, the uh, we'll talk about the back window, your back window, your your camper soon, uh, your topper. But uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Danny had come come down with Bow Hunter Magazine TV show and hunted with Scotty and I recently. Um, that that video or that film will be on Bow Hunter TV. Um, I guess in the next probably what six months or something. Is it a year out, six months out? How's that work? No, this one I I think that they'll probably put this one together in probably Q three this year. So late summer. Um that's when I would anticipate it coming out anyway. But I I'm not the boss over there. I have no idea. But you'll be able to watch it on Sportsman's channel and or outdoor channel, both of them. Yeah, I actually, I, I, uh, I got my outdoor TV the other day when I was sending you like screenshots of it laughing. Cause I was watching <laughs> yeah. bouncing back and forth between your show and Levi's, uh, uh, my bow life or whatever, bouncing back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And did you prove once again that, uh, I'm, I'm an idiot. I watched you missed a <laughs> you couple were sending me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? Honestly, that's one really good thing about our our show, about Bowhunter TV. And it, that's that we show them. We, we show the misses. Um, and a lot of people don't. There's a lot of guys out there that are, whether it's, you know, shooting for television or YouTube or anything else, they've got a video camera there. A lot of guys just don't show their misses, you know, or very, very rarely do they. And, uh, you know, I've always said there's three kinds of bow hunters. There's those that uh, those that seldom shoot, those that occasionally miss, and liars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, our show we fall into the second slot. We occasionally miss, and when we do, we show it because I think I think there's just as much to learn from the failures, more to learn from the failures than there are the successes. And people seem to relate to those failures too. For some reason, they just like to see you in pain. <laughs> they like to see the the I, the, I, ang- the agony on your face from from the uh, experience that I have from posting misses and making fun of yourself or whatever. It's it's relatable because they've you know been there. Yeah, because uh, they've been there. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I I hate it when people cover up misses. Yeah, and I you know I I try to be especially with the stick bow like. Up front with it, well, you know, I don't miss as much with the compound. I, I mean, it happens, but not as often. But you still miss. And I mean, I'll give an example this year. You, I would think we were talking about with you. I was at Scotty's and I was shooting. Oh, they had an old power line at like 130 yards. And telephone pole shot hit the telephone pole jumped in the truck and i uh i didn't move my sight uh so i'm in the tree stand <laughs> and it's it's early right and so when does come in early especially if it's a big doe right and i don't see you know because it's never a good idea when you're in the rut right whacking a doe it's just not you know i say that meaning 
not for sheer, this has nothing to do with the conservation aspect of this. Like where we're at, they're asking us to pull 50, 70, 80 does off this property. Um, large property, right? There's a lot of does. It's because there's a buck probably following it in. And about the time you wing a doe, the buck blows out and you're like, shit. So early in the day when you get those lonely roamers that are generally dry, you know, I had a big doe yeah. come in. She was at like 48 yards feeding. And I'm like... Eh, I'm going to shoot her. Uh, you know what I mean? Decent, like a good, good wind coming from her to me where I'm like, she may not even hear the bow go off. I shoot. Yeah. She doesn't really move. She lift her head up and I'm like, <laughs> fuck, did I miss that bad? I'm like, all right, she's whatever. Looking I'm, in the sky. Yeah. She's kind of looking around and I'm like, huh? Hmm. Ah, whatever. So I just wait. She gradually comes to me. I'm on a, uh, basically a path on the way to a feeder, right? Like you don't generally shoot big bucks on feeders, but you will hundred yards around it. Right. So I'm on, and I wasn't that far from the feeder is a little closer, but I'm waiting for it. Anyway, she's like seven yards, <sighs> hit seven feet over the top of her probably maybe more. Right. <laughs> and immediately I'm like, Oh Lord, I look and I'm like on a hundred and as far I just, you know, wasn't paying attention. I was looking around for oh, yeah. animals and not looking at my sight. And I should have known just from the placement, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, when it's dialed down that far, when you're thinking, you're using your brain, you know, but when you're in a, you know, you should shoot an animal. So anyway, so I dialed it back up to where my mover thing was. And she, I missed her by so much. She just ran out to like 30 and stopped. And she was like, didn't spook? No, no. And then I shot her. So by the time it was said and done, I had two arrows left for that evening's events. And I was in the stand early. And I had already missed twice and, and shot. I almost climbed down, got the arrow out to screw another broadhead on. So I had three. I was like, you know, knowing my luck, some giant buckskin, some goes sideways, and I'll have no arrows left. No uh, arrows left. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, shit happens when you party naked. Dude, I had, I had one last, but no, two years ago in Kansas. And you know how I'll do that double decoy set for for whitetails where I'll put a, a 3D buck out in front of me and then I'll sit back you know 10 15 20 yards away from the decoy and act like a bedded doe with a stalker decoy on my bow yeah well we call it a lockdown set it looks like a buck that has a doe lockdown and this morning there was we were facing a great big uh like crp hill and the sun was at our back just barely cracking you had that beautiful golden light you know and here comes this Nice 10 point, you know, he wasn't a monster, but he was a nice buck and we were on a piece of walk in. So, um, you know, I, any respectable buck, I'm going to shoot him. Um, he comes in, in that golden light, just freaking award winning footage. You know, you're like, Oh, this, one of those instances where you're like, man, it'd be so pretty if he came in right now. And, the, and then he did, and he comes into 20 yards and I'm sitting in a turkey chair on the ground acting like a bedded doe and this buck is completely locked on to my 3d decoy out in front of me i draw that bow back and i put the pin on him and i let it go and like i never saw the arrow i never saw it had no idea like all i knew was the buck was running and he takes off and I like, I have no idea whether I missed high, low, left, right. Have no idea. I looked at my site because I thought that I forgot to adjust it back. Like you did. Nope. It was set on my base, you know, my base pen. And, uh, I didn't know what happened, but we went back and we looked at the footage and, and, um, there, the, he had a GoPro 
the cameraman had a GoPro going on me the entire time. And you can see like when I draw back, I've got all this extra, it was cold that day and I've got a bunch of stuff and my hood over my head and zipped up all the way around my neck. And I think when I came to full draw, like the extra stuff around my neck made contact with one of the fletchings on my arrow. And you can see when I anchor in to full draw, you can see the arrow lift up off the front of the rest. You know what I mean? From, from making contact with my, with my clothes that I have on. So that arrow like probably went 15 feet over top of him, but it's dude, it's always painful when you miss, but when you miss on camera and everybody gets to share in the agony of that, it just, it's so much worse. It's, it's so much worse. It's like our, our audad hunt that first day we'll, we'll, talk about that stock here in a second but i missed a huge ram and it was beautiful everything that like we had two camera angles going back there behind me you and and our cameraman and everything's perfect and i missed that sucker and you know of course i paid for that one immediately because you posted it the same within a half hour you had a post done it and, might not have been a half hour. It's definitely within an hour. <laughs> yeah. I had to, it probably it took was, an hour to find the correct audio. I had to get the right, you know, the right vibe. Dude, that audio was ab- was absolutely perfect. It was it was perfect. It mel- it made me want to cry, <laughs> but it was perfect. Yeah, I tell you what, that uh, crazy enough. I'll read the stats on this here in a second. I'll grab my phone. Um, that one went viral. Um, man, I think it's up to 200 and some thousand, uh, 200 and some thousand views, I think is what that's up to. And I think like 70% are like non-followers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't say Danny (laughs) Ferris on it. It just has a guy. In fact, a lot of times when I post those, they think it's me, right? Cause I'm putting on my page. Right. So. Okay. All right. Well, everyone go ahead and think it's Aaron. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. And, uh, well, I guess as we're talking about that, um, kind of go over the rundown, like, uh, obviously as your first time, you know, hunting down there and, uh, and you, you have recently read my, my article, but I had written an article I- for bow hunter about <laughs> down there hunting out dad. And then you, you ended up coming down later. Yeah. And I, it got found out that I'd, when Aaron wrote that article, I looked at the pictures and I didn't read the article. And while we were down there, he confronted me about something that he put in the article and I had no freaking idea. And he says, no. did you even, yeah, did you, you even said, read the article? Do these things ever stop moving? And I was like, so I'm guessing you didn't read the article. And you're like, no, no, I looked at the pictures. <laughs> so I came back and read it after the fact, but yeah, it was, uh, what did I mean? I knew that you kind of fell in love with it, you know? Um, cause shoot, that was what, three years ago, 19 or 20 when you started hunting with Scotty down there? Mm, yeah, probably. Well, 18, no, I, I six and seven, man, no, maybe it was 18, 18. Yeah. Is when I started, uh, hunting and then guided for him right after that. Yeah. So, you know, you go from going down there for one hunt and the next thing, you know, you know, Amy's saying goodbye to you for two or three months every year for you to run down there and play with Scotty and all that. Um, but, and I, I, you know, honestly, I didn't understand that at first, but I 
totally get it now that I've been down there. Um, that like it's it is just not what you're expecting when you think of a Texas hunt. Um, it, it, it it's just way more rugged than that. You know, you you show up and you see that terrain and how straight up and down it is and it's ridiculous to climb around in. I think the morning that I got it there was like 28 degrees and blowing 25, 30 miles an hour. Um, and it didn't feel like you were in Texas. (laughs) It felt like you were in Arizona hunting desert rams or something is what it felt like. Yeah. Um, it's, It's much more mountainous than people probably, you know, think what you know like when you go down there it's mountain hunting so yeah it is 100 percent mountain hunting um and it's weird because you know being from el paso i i just i i guess i'd never got into that part of the davis mountains very often those are just ridiculous but um uh anyhow we headed out the first morning and we spotted some sheep and uh, we ended up going way up and around. Remember, we went up on top of the plateaus and up on top of these plateaus. Every now and again, the sheep will cross them up there. And they were heading like for a different set of cliffs. And you just, we started hauling butt out over a couple of little rock outcroppings, kind of right on top of the cliffy areas. And the sheep were going over them. We were following and I think we we came to that opening and Aaron was like, OK, we got to we got to hustle across this and catch them before they get down too deep into this stuff. And as we were going, we look over and here's this big lone ram and he is just marching across the top of this open plateau in, in the grass. And you remember we froze. He hadn't seen us yet, I don't think. Yeah. And I, I had a D I had a, a stalker, uh, one of our stalker, uh, decoys on the front of my bow. We were using the, the bighorn sheep decoy and our bighorn sheep decoy looks like an odd Ram. It looks very close. It's similar, especially the silhouette of it. Um, and you said, you know, me and the cameraman will just stay here. We'll be able to see everything. You go straight to him. And I start going to him and I'm like, moving at a pretty good clip out ahead of you two and he looked that ram looks over at me and sees me and sees that you know what he thinks is a sheep coming at him and he goes down and starts rolling in the dirt and makes a little dust cloud and i just start double timing it at him and then at 60 yards all of a sudden he just he he stands up, looks back over at me and he can see you and the cameraman too, hiding behind your decoy up there. And when he stood back up, he's, he's watching me move at him and he, he goes to full frontal facing me. And I just stopped and kind of knelt down right there. I was staying real low. So the decoy didn't change height or anything. I just knelt down and, you know, he was 60 yards from me, full frontal and you and you and the cameraman are back there behind me. And how long was he there facing me at 60 yards? I don't know. A long time. Um, 15 minutes, maybe 10 minutes. I, it was a while. It was, yeah, I, the 12 minutes stands out in my mind is what you were saying right afterwards. But, um, yeah, he's full frontal, complete stare down with my decoy for 12, 
15 minutes, whatever it was, long, long time. And I was not comfortable shooting a full frontal shot at that distance, you know, and you were telling me afterwards, I, I don't, I don't know how you did that. I would have let one fly. And I just, I, I've had too many bad experiences with full frontals. I won't take them unless they're close. There's just too much time for them to do stuff. And, um, so anyway, he finally turns broadside and starts to march and you immediately started with the, whatever the, what do you call that call that you make at them? So I would, I would equate it to, um, so when elk bark, there's a something's up, let's get the hell out of here bark. And then there's a challenge bark. You'll have that a lot of times when you're in a bugle war with another bull, he'll bark, like show yourself. And it's that type of a call. Um, it's more of an aggression call. Um, I actually, with the next, uh, TV show that came down, I called in a herd of 45 to 50 inside of 23 yards in the mesquites with three monster rams doing that they'd see a little movement get spooky and it's just like a <laughs> and almost like yeah. a white tail blowing kind of and it sounded it sound like an almost like an antelope that was that was blowing <clears throat> yep yep and and then what's weird is like when you when we, in the, the case with the mesquite trees um they literally they move around they look they look and almost inevitably if they stay they're coming and so like i know this but i mean i'm like ding dong in the ground face planted like right cheek on the ground like they're behind me and i'm i'm pinned down because i came around the cedar to get a look and i've got my range finder sideways on in the dirt and i'm like get ready and, and they're behind a cedar, and I'm like, they're coming. He said, how close? And I held my hand back and went two, three. And he was like, what? And I'm like, they're here. And <laughs> I'm I'm trying to convey which one to shoot because it's not that easy to tell them apart. And I'm like, the biggest one in the middle. And he's got to go over the top of the cedar. And I can see why he didn't shoot because he's got to like, okay, he's six foot nine. Is he going to be able to come to full draw shoot without him blowing out? Well, I called him back in three times. Was, was this the hunt you left to right after I left? Yeah, same hunt. Good footage. That see dude on is the show. six foot nine. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like I had people say, "Hey, man, how big is that ram?" He he's so big, he makes it look small. He played for the uh, Canadian Football League. I, I don't know what he's six nine and two eighty. Maybe he said something. He's big, and he's not fat. Big. He's big. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he was like, holy cow. And so they came back in and there's a couple of times where it shifted right. And I'm doing a, psh, psh, and I'm, and I'm like, can you sneak it through the mesquite? And he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, the Ram on the right's 33, kill it. He's like, I don't know. And I'm, I'm thinking, man, if you can find a way, please shoot this Ram like whole, but there's too many yeah. eyes. There's 40, 50, 45, 50 U's and three monster Rams and a few small ones. And of course, they would move. Anyway, we never ended up shooting one, but that's the call, and we've had great success. Scotty's called it. Well, that big ram that I shot two years ago with Barnwell, after I shot that ram and it ran down into the group, we waited 10 minutes as they were trying to figure out what the hell was going on, and I called them all back into Barnwell within 20 yards. No kidding. Huh. Well, it, it on this ram, it didn't bring him to us, but it definitely stopped him. And I didn't know what it was. You hadn't even, I, you hadn't even done it back in camp. You know, I was surprised when I heard it. He, so the, the sheep that was 
faced off with me at 60, I had ranged him a half a dozen times, 60 yards, 60 yards, 60 yards. I had it just firmly implanted in my brain. He turns broadside and starts to walk. And as soon as he makes the move, I come to full draw and I'm trying to get my 60 yard pin on him. And Aaron starts making this call and he probably walked like five or six yards. And for whatever reason in my head, it, I was just like, he's walking broadside. It never dawned on me that he might've added any distance. It just in the moment, it didn't look like he added any distance. So I just, I, I put my 60 yard pin right on him and let that arrow go. And it looked, it looked perfect. Matter of fact, when, when he took off, I thought I had smoked him. I thought it was like heart shot smoked him. And well, it ended up when we, watched it back when he started moving sideways he was actually quartering away just a little bit and he probably added three to four yards before Aaron got him stopped with that call and it was just enough to where that arrow literally you know shaved hair off of the off of the bottom of his chest it went right underneath him it is confusing because okay I'm going to tell you now where we're at on on a Instagram with yours because there's all kinds of feedback. Um, smoke them. Oh, uh, looks like uh, you know a few yards high. You know it's hard to tell in the in the video. And uh, let me go to insights here. So we are at. Um, oh wait, that's the one where you didn't shoot. Where I was just showing the the decoy. So here. Oh yeah, yeah. That's at fifty thousand. So this is at two hundred and four thousand nine hundred and sixty three views um dude play the thing play the audio so that people can hear the audio (laughs) so uh what it what it was is 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 in in before play the audio when the arrow i thought because there's wind i can't hear that hit right like i'm not sure yeah and in you know when you're when you're hunting you can usually when you're the shooter you hear that hit i couldn't hear it but i it looked like he smoked it in the heart. Yeah. And it did. Yeah, some, I thought it did. But I thought his broadhead may have opened. There was some crazy arrow flight. Well, what I was seeing is after it skipped off the ground and it was 20 yards behind it arcing up in the air, it almost looked like it was on the way to the sheep knock low. And I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck just happened? And uh, yeah, so it, it went <laughs> it went right underneath him and it bounced off of a rock and rocketed. <laughs> into like outer space and i'm and look, it's an it's an optical illusion though because it looks like at that time it's on the way to the sheep yeah. and i'm like danny what did you do like that is not good arrow flight like you're nine inches knock low well that's because it was yeah. arcing to the moon after yeah. it ricocheted and so a lot of people are thinking you you know like oh he definitely hit it i hope they blood trailed it trailed it and i'm like yeah, we looked at that footage about nine ninety hundred nine ninety seven hundred times. Like it was a very clean miss, yeah. but yeah, there was a lot of people on there that thought that that I smoked it, and that that's exactly when when it happened. Both me and you thought I'd smoked it too. Yep. Oh yeah. So, all right. Here. About this, his whole life. Oh fuck! His dream. So uh, to add context, has dreamed about this his whole life. Oh, fuck. So the, the sheep, is Danny goes to full draw, the sheep walks out, 
that's when it's saying he's dreamed about this his whole life. And then you see the arrow rocketing into the atmosphere. And that's when it says, oh, fuck. Well, we were talking about reels and social media because Danny's been in the game a long time, you know, written for Bow Hunter and everything else. And then he bought Ultimate Predator gear. But he's not. How did you put it? 15 years ago, you were on your game and you got to get back on your game as far as just photos and things like that. It's a new world now. You got to be. Yeah, everything changes so damn fast. And, you know, the I think the older you get, the harder it is for you to roll with those punches, you know. And a lot of times I just feel like I can't keep up with things. And you know? I, I was going over the reels and the audio and whatever. And so I'm trying to find a good um, – a good audio for this. And so I remember keep, keep this in mind. I'm my heart is broken at this point. Okay. Like it now, granted it was the first morning, the first day of the hunt, but I knew that that was a, that was a giant Ram. What do you think that Ram's probably 33 or something, right? Yeah. 32, 33. Yeah. That my decoy, you know, the, I own the decoy company. And that decoy had just performed like a champion. Like, and I will say, if you were going to sell a product, that <laughs> video of, you know, my cell phone, not what Christian filmed, but like what I filmed I on my phone was yeah. literally like, okay, and especially if you know how skittish like free range out of that are. Yeah. He's stuck like Danny strolls in like he's walking to Walmart. The, the Ram sees him. <laughs> Sees the decoy starts rolling around like, oh, yeah, there's yeah. a sheep kicks, kicking yeah. dirt up. If anybody knows what they do, they kick dirt up and get their horn in there and flip it on themselves. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? You know, I'm watching from the back. And so Christian has to get on a rock because we can't see the ram anymore. It's rolling around in the dirt. And I'm like, huh, that thing's working amazing because, you know, for, for us. Yeah. Not all clients will put that on their bow, not not for the fact they won't put it on. They don't have one, right? We have them. Yeah, so I keep yeah. them on a monopod, and I'm thinking, is this the first time other than me, right? Is this the first time we've had a client with one on his, his decoy? Because usually we're beside the client. and uh, On his bow, yeah. Yeah, on, on his bow. And so I was like <laughs> thinking, oh, you could not have drawn this better, right? This is no. then stuck facing for 12 minutes. And then when he blows out, he doesn't really blow out. He just kind of turns no, and walks. No, he just walked. Yeah. And that call is a call that you can blow him out using that call or a call that stops him. And I told Danny, I said, man, I'm not really, depends on the the posture of the, the sheep if you want to do that, right? And so I, psh, psh, and it stops. I'm like, oh, money. You let money, her, money. Yeah, and you let and her I already, I mean, just to give everybody the context, in, in my little wee head, I already have this thing skinned and in the back of the side by side and we're back at camp partying for the rest of the week because it was awesome. But, uh, when, when I missed this thing and once we realized that I had missed and we went down there and we knew exactly where they went down, where he went down through the rocks and there was absolutely not one drop of blood anywhere. And then we watched the, the video back and number one, you know, both the cameraman and Aaron have spectacular video of this. And I mean, to the point where the cameraman, he'll, <laughs> he'll back out and get wide so that you could see Aaron there with his decoy on his monopod. And then me 60, 70 yards out in front of that with my decoy on. And then the sheep 60 yards looking at us. And I mean, 
it is just uh, it, it's an incredible piece of footage and then i miss and once i figure when I, once i realize that i missed i'm i'm gut shot at this point it's fresh i i know that i just missed in front of two cameras and thousands and thousands of people and uh, and that's when aaron comes up with this cute little audio so, yeah, so piece I'm like scrolling through. right while the wound is raw <laughs> and uh <laughs> I had uh, I had found one somebody sent me or a buddy or whatever and it was a, just a, a hog of a whitetail coming in close like 12 14 yards and it in a tree stand you know he's dreamed about this anyway I saved it on my reels and uh so I showed Danny that he was laughing but I didn't tell him I had posted it and then I I posted it and then he found out from social media before I told him that I had posted that reel which has went viral since then so <laughs> <laughs> well um yeah it was the, right when you posted it i was like oh that felt like a kick in the nuts but actually it it's pretty dang funny now looking back on it for sure well and i i think like when you uh um with those those sheep like we had talked about you know they don't you can get, I mean, we've had guys stroll in and have, you know, like get, get on top and, and, and have a fairly easy, you know, hunt, but you know, that's, that's 10% of the time, 90% of the time, you know, out of every 10, one, one might be easier. The other nine, you know, it's, you may see sheep all day long, but getting them in the right spot, having them not moving or moving fast enough where you can't catch up. You know, you saw some of the climbs we make to loop up and around them and it had kind of, the, the next day had slowed down some. We didn't, we didn't have on day two as much, we saw sheep, but we didn't have a lot of stalking action uh, like that first day. Yeah, that, yeah, it slowed down for the next two days, I think. Um, and it, it, one thing that, you got to explain is that, you know, if you're, let's say that you're spotting stock and mule deer down there and we're, we're using a, a side-by-side to get around on these really rough four-wheel drive type roads. And if you, if you spot a mule deer up bedded up underneath one of these cliffs, thousand yards away, you can sit there and glass him, plan your attack and everything. Mule deer ain't going to thousand yards away he's just going to lay there he probably thinks he's hidden and you'll go up way around and come in from the back end and you'll be able to put a stock on audad aren't like that like you stop that thing a thousand yards away to glass them and they're leaving and on top of that you know they're they're just not going to stay put but on top of that they they're in these big groups 90 percent of the time i mean that that one ram that I missed the first day, he wasn't a loner. He was just way back behind the group, you know, and he was headed for the other sheep. But typically you're dealing just, you're dealing with too many damn sets of eyes. Yeah. There's a lot of eyes and you'll occasionally find old loner rams by themselves, which I think we saw two, probably that one just kind of stepped out and we went, of course, looped around, whatever, never got back on him. But, Oh yeah, that's right. Um, you know, it's it's just more difficult. Now in in the rut, uh, you know, they rut kind of late October, November time frame. Uh their primary rut, they have more than one, but uh they you know, they're more susceptible to, you know, doing a little hood rat shit, getting in on them, right? You can get away with a little more, they're busting heads and they're they're uh they're not as um mm, 
I guess their their attention span is more on running from trying to get, you know, either a huge running away from a ram trying to, you know, fornicate uh, rams or fighting over it, right? There's a lot going on where you can get in on them. And, uh, you know, once they – we kind of were at the tail end of the rut, even though we did see quite a bit of rut activity, especially on the day that you shot one, that whole group. But, like, yeah. when they're just, you know, 50 ewes and one ram – I mean, you know, it's hundred and you know, hundred, hundred, hundred and two eyeballs, whatever. Um, it's hard. on a ca- on a cagey animal. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's, it's not hard. like they let things go. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. A lot yeah. of times with some of these animals, you get into a stare down, you get a white tail that stomps at you and bobs ahead for a little bit, but then you know loses focus and nothing happens. A lot of times they'll forget about it and go back to what they're doing. These things don't they don't seem to forget. You know, they're yeah. just, they're cagey. Yeah. And I mean, when, when, you know, there's, it's weird cause they're cagey and then they're dumb sometimes when I say that, you, you know, we, we, I, and again, I, I will say I'm extremely aggressive on, on the stalking. In fact, there's ongoing jokes about it. Cause Scotty, he'll tell a client like, Hey, you hunt with Aaron, you're going to have adventure all day. You're probably going to get 10, 15 opportunities. You're going to get several shots, you're probably every one of them is going to be under high intensity and you know, whatever he's like, you hunt with me, we may get one shot, but it's probably going to be a good one. Good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And with me, which when I say that, I mean, obviously I've had guys come in, you know, and had easier shots or, or less pressure shots. But when you're running and gunning and, oh, they're over the hill, let's run up here. You know, if I'm having a guy sprint up to a, a cliff line waiting for him, you know, to try to get up to the edge of the cliff because they just dropped down, you know, your your heart's breathe, you know, your heart's beating, adrenaline and whatever, where if you just sit and wait for him to cross, if you get in a group, it may happen. But you're going to have yeah. to wait a few hours, four, five, six hours, where I just, I don't have that in me. Yeah. No, you are, you're aggressive. There's, there's no doubt. I, in all of your hunting, you are though, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. All of your hunting. And, you know, uh, like he was saying, you, you go with Scotty and you don't have Scotty telling you, shoot, shoot, shoot. And then as soon as you, as soon as you shoot and miss, oh, that was a terrible shot. <laughs> oh, I did not do that, but. No, uh, you didn't, but I like to say you did. It, uh, yeah, well, and I mean, I, you know, like I, sh- I mean, I shake it off. Like, well, I'll, I'll say when we, we had Joe, um, uh, Appel, he's the Canadian football league guy. And the next hunt, when I went up to the Northern property, he said the same thing. He was like, man, I, I quickly found Aaron is extremely aggressive and we're going in hot. And if it doesn't work out, we'll just go find more. That yeah. is very conducive to people that want to do that. If it's not, you know, there's different styles. And so, but Joe, like I'm pretty easy going. Joe missed a, I mean, it, 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 Weird, weird story, but I'm going to be fairly quick about it. Um, There was a ram that was in the bottom of the canyon rolling in mud. We gave up on him the direction he went and came up to the top, went in on some other ones. That ram ended up being in the middle of a wheat field four hours later by himself and on the edge of this uh, canyon. And so we're in mesquite trees trying to figure out like needle in a haystack where this thing's coming out. I had a pretty good idea. There was three spots. He may come right before dark. They all go always go into the cliffs and he's coming like running out of this wheat field to us. And 
it comes through and I stop at broadside and he hit a mesquite branch. Um, it had kind of like, he was waiting for me to give him a range and I, I didn't give him one cause it was close. I should have said something cause I think it was 28 yards. And when yeah. it started to walk, he took the shot when he had drifted over to take that shot, walk and he hit a branch. He was like, cause I don't get riled up. I, he was like, Oh man. I'm like, yeah, that, that I'm not going to lie to you, man. That, um, uh, that's one of the largest rams I've ever seen. And he's like, how big? I said, no, literally that ram might have been 35 inches long. That's That was a big <laughs> ram, but I don't get mad at that. It's fun for me, but like it is a different style when you're that uh, uh, aggressive. And on the the day, the one that you, uh, the one that you had killed that day, like we had, I don't know, man, what a hundred sheep around us all over the place. Like a, they were everywhere. There was a bunch, there was a bunch. And you know, when we, we, we had stalked up the mountain, uh, saw them up under these cliffs, found a, found a way that we could get up there toward them with some cover and got like to the very end of the cover. And well, they had kind of separated to where there was one group right in front of us. It had two big rams that were chasing ewes around making, a. a a crazy noise that it didn't what try and imitate that noise it, it and that's a rutting noise isn't it yeah yeah and it's almost like a, a grunt or like if when you get into a like a tending uh whatever you want a tending grunt you know for a white tail those little bit longer but you can't yeah this was it's like farting out of like their mouth growl. yeah yeah it's ah, hard to explain. you know yeah and it, these two rams are chasing this you around doing that and we didn't realize that up to our right there were you know there were some ewes that were bedded down in a spot where they could see us and you know Aaron had stood up and trying to peek over the horizon at the ones that were right in front of us and I look up and all of a sudden there's two ewes up on the hill that have us like they saw him dead to rights you know and I whispered to him oh up to the right you know and he got down and crawled back over to us and we flashed our decoys up there and just gave them the silhouette of that head and that worked like a charm dude like they they ended up laying back down and and rebedding after yeah. they had seen your entire body yeah yep yeah and they um i don't know i mean what the time was i mean we had been there. I mean, you had popped up the decoy because we were on a little knob and as we were in protected from some of them seeing us and some moved around and you kind of had put the decoy up so they saw the silhouette of a sheep rather than yeah. us or whatever. Um, and I mean, I don't, well, I get, I'll let you take it from there when they finally went over that, you know, that kind of spur coming down or knife edge spur coming down, they went up over the top. Um, there was some we kind of yeah, blew out, to- stragglers, but... Well, we had to wait a long time for them to, the ones that were right in front of us, there was really no approach on them. And they were, um, they're probably 150 yards or so. And we had to wait for them to move kind of around the mountain uh, after the, the other sheep. And then we had to wait for those ewes that had spotted us that were still bedded right there to finally get up and and move off so that it gave us, you know, when they moved around the mountain, around that little knife's edge, we were able to jump up and close the gap and, and 
we did it fast. Aaron's talking about being aggressive half the time he is running toward these things. And that's what we were doing. We were running um, up toward where the sheep had just disappeared to. And when we got kind of underneath where they were, we had some rocks for cover. Aaron starts going up the hill. And I, I think I even might have said to you, you know, go a little slower so I'm not completely out of breath when we when we get to him. Um, and or you had said it, one of the two, but we slowed down a little bit. And as we were closing the gap on where they had disappeared, um, all of a sudden we had that one, I, it might've been a, might've been a, a lamb, um, that was, that peeked over at us, or it was a young you that peeked over a rock at us and was like, Oh crap. And took off up the hill and that's where we kind of kicked it into high gear again just to get around the rocks and as we were rounding around those rocks here's the entire herd you know there's well there's 40 or 50 of them the back end of the herd sitting there looking at us from what 70 yards or something like that yeah yeah probably pretty close to that and they turn and start to go and Aaron immediately you know he had his decoy on his uh, on his monopod again he shows him the decoy and and he did that call again and i had it they, we, it was a little windier it was too windy for me to feel comfortable having the decoy fastened you know completely to my bow and we've described this on the podcast before i think but when in those windy conditions if we want to still use it what we'll do is just we will pop it we will detach it from the bow but slap it onto the side on the quiver side of the bow and you just hold it on there with your grip hand your fingers on your grip hand and when you're going toward the animals you turn your bow sideways so if you're a right-handed hunter your your bow's pointing hard left and you're hiding behind that decoy closing the gap to where you need to shoot well aaron stopped them and they turn around they saw sheep so they kind of chilled there for a second and now when you do it that way at some point you've got to you got to point the bow back at the animals and that now now you're exposed because your decoy is on the quiver side of the bow and as soon as you start to put pressure on the string you just open your grip hand a little bit and the decoy will fall right off the bow so now you don't have a kite on your bow in the wind and that's exactly what we did. I, you know, I drew, let that decoy fall off the side of the bow. You were ranging right over your decoy and you were like, you know, I think you said 85 first. And then there was a second Ram that stepped out and you rearranged it and said 83. And I ended up making the shot and it was, uh, it was pretty gnarly. Cause as soon as I hit it, Aaron's like, oh, good hit, good hit. He's bleeding everywhere. He's bleeding everywhere. And he's just, this is is something that's entertaining, but it, it is something that Aaron does, you know, when he's when he's guiding. And to tell you the truth, it's not something that I've ever done while I'm guiding. Um, and I think I'm going to steal that from you because Aaron, like, will spit out, he'll verbalize everything that he is seeing so that you know, a lot of times when you're in the heat of those moments, you forget kind of how things went down. Well, if, if the guide is sitting there and he's verbalizing everything that he sees, 
a lot of times when it's, you know, when it's over and said and done, the animals, you know, run over the hill and you can't see it anymore. It's easier for everyone involved to say, well, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And when it's on video, it's kind of wigging out. You're hearing it. So you can go back and re-listen as well. Yes. Yeah. So it just, it's a good way to remember all of this stuff, but he immediately was like, Oh, he's dumping, he's dumping. And, um, the crazy thing about those is usually when an animal is dumping blood that heavily and is hit that hard, they don't usually want to go. Most animals either go flat ground, you know, side hilling, or they'll head downhill. And we're on a, I, what was that? That was an 83 degree and what? 38 degree uphill yeah, shot. You eight, think? Yeah, it was 82, 83 yards. And I think it was 37 degree uphill from what my, my range finder said. Yeah. 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 So it was pretty steep uphill and that damn sheep went straight uphill <laughs> it was crazy <clears throat> but he didn't make he what he go 60 yards and he and he fell over yeah i don't know if he went yeah i mean he it was it was under 75 well under 100 and what was crazy is uh, not great these animals like to live right and when i say that all animals but these animals are very good at uh doing things that you just they're didn't resilient. think resilient. Yeah, they're very resilient. And so one one of the things like when you um y- y- uh, for example, that thing ran straight uphill. Blood trail crazy, yeah. right? And Danny's colorblind still followed it. Um <laughs> and and it, it uh you know, it, I have seen them do some pretty amazing things. I've learned a lot about just blood trailing tracking and what an animal's truly, you know, capable of. So when it hit the ground, um, it still didn't just tip over. It hit the ground and still had a few seconds of life left in it when that happened. Because when it laid down, I was like, okay, he, and you you, you on the video were like, hey, let's let's wait. Let's wait. And then, like, when you were saying that, he rolled a couple times. And I'm like, all right, we're good. What, I, what I kept saying, what I kept saying is let's don't get happy yet. Don't get happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, seems like every time that you do something, all of a sudden the animal jumps up. But, it, uh, it was a good, it's yeah. a good ram. It was. I That damn ram, he got me back. <laughs> at, at the beginning of the podcast, Aaron was talking about, we'll talk, we'll, we'll talk about the back windshield of your truck. When uh, I'm skipping ahead now, but when I left, the last thing that I loaded in the back of my truck was that the 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 skull and the cape, and the cape was still on the skull. And that what, what's that weigh? Seventy uh, pounds? Yeah, I was to say probably sixty to seventy. I would think they're heavy. I mean, just the skull alone is pretty damn heavy. Yeah. Well, and it it was all frozen, and so I stuck it right in the back of the truck. And I have a topper on my truck, and so I closed the back glass on the topper and locked it down and I go to leave the ranch and there's a couple of cattle guards on your way out of there. And the, I think the first cattle guard is fairly smooth. You just go over it and it's like, just like a cattle guard usually does. The second cattle guard has a big bump to it and I didn't realize it. And I'm doing like 50 miles an hour. I hit that bump. My head, my top, my head hits the cab of the truck. Um, and I was like, shit. And I looked, you know, just big, huge bounce. 
look in the rearview mirror, and that ram skull had bounced up and hit that black that back glass on my topper and shattered it, man. Just and it it's that tempered glass. Just the whole back of the truck was just covered with glass so I, I found that kind of ironic that that ram was like oh you shoot arrows at me you this will yeah. be yeah i'll get you back you know well yeah that's exactly right the uh the you know the one thing um yeah i wanted to, to touch on obviously we we covered the you know the hunt and I, you know it was a Really good trip, super successful um, on the on the decoying portion of things because I had a lot of people message me about you know especially with that one video going viral um, some questions mm-hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna answer some of them and then I'm gonna let you kind of take over so I'm gonna give you my perspective because I don't own the company so I use it when it's applicable so f- for me yeah. per- personally. I have that decoy on me all the time. And when I say that decoy, if I'm hunting antelope, it's an antelope or a cow, a moo cow. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I'm hunting elk, it it's, I'm a big fan of that one. And when I say that, meaning I may not always have it on my bow. And when I, when I say on my bow, people have disagreed with me on this. And Danny might, when I'm done with my spiel here, sometimes I'll set that decoy up. If I'm solo calling, um, it, you know, when I say solo, I may not have it on my bow. I may have it 20 yards to my left. If a ray, if a, if a bull is going to be coming up over a hill to get his attention and maybe off of me, that can be bad because a lot of times they'll catch you drawn anyway, but elksy movement, right? So 90% of the time it's on my bow, but sometimes occasionally I will set it off to the side when I'm guiding, um, I always have it on a monopod, and when I'm scouting a lot of times, especially I get closer to season, especially with high country mule deer and and sheep, I have it on my monopod because I glass off that monopod with 15s a lot. And what it does, and this is something a lot of people don't think about, especially if you're filming and you got it on your tripod, it allows me a little bit of room, wiggle room for silhouetting myself when I come up over the top because it literally... I put my 15s between the, its ears or its horns, and it looks like a sheep walking up over a hill. So if I glass and pick up a sheep and they're looking out, I can back up, low crawl up after that, and it doesn't blow them out. It's not a human silhouette. Um, right. Where it really buys you is three to five seconds to make the shot. And what I have found, when I say that, if a bull comes in, a lot of times a bull elk will come in to 20, see you draw, and it'll run out to 40 and stop, maybe broadside, maybe not. A lot of times with this, it doesn't bounce. It just locks it up and looks at you trying to figure it out. It doesn't blow out like they – when I say blow out, it doesn't blow out to 40, 50 to stop and look back. It stays right there. Mule deer specifically, when you're popping up over the edge – They'll just look at it where normally they'd blow out. They're trying to figure out it's giving you three to five seconds to shoot it. They're like looking, trying to figure out like, how did this deer get above me? So do I always have it on my bow? No. Do I always have it on me? Yes. I, I, 99% of the time, cause you can fit it between your chest harness and your body. I'll tuck it in between my butt crack and my belt and the back of my, you know, shirt. So let's say it's, it's windy. I don't want it on my bow when I'm running across on a stock to go, you know, it's six, 800 yards. I'll just pull it off, tuck it in my pants. And when I get close, I'll pop it back on my bow 
And, and, and it's very versatile. But with some of the stuff I said, kind of give your two cents on that. Well, number one, you know, I, I bought this company because I had been – I started using the decoys on, on our TV show, on Bowhunter TV. And, I mean, some of, the, some of the shit that I did with them, I was just mind blown. I, I could not believe what I got away with with some of these animals, especially like big mature whitetails. I was just blown away. Well, the next thing I know, the company comes for sale – they told me they were selling it, and I was like, um, well, you know, what are you looking for here? And I ended up buying the company because I had been a user of these things, and it was just I, – I, it was a game changer. A game changer that uh, – <laughs> the next biggest cha- game changer that I can tell you of w- was laser rangefinders. Literally, it's that big of a game changer. So anyway, you know, with most of these – species i you know i've even before i bought the company i would have one and when you fold them up they fold up to the size of a frisbee and they're like eight ounces so i'd have one in my pack i'd have one somewhere to where i could get a hold of it if i was you know thought i was going to run into a situation where i could use it now more so than any other species when i'm elk hunting i i Unless I'm just in the wide open and it's super windy where, you know, that's the enemy of this decoy is when it gets super windy. If it gets windy enough, you got to you got to take it off the bow. And like we described earlier, there are ways to still use it when it's windy conditions, but you can't have it on the front of the bow in a windy situation. But usually elk hunting, I'm not in those situations. I'm in, you know, it's just not in areas where the wind is hard enough to where it messes with you. For elk, I want the thing on the bow all the time. And the reason that I say that is, is there's been so many, I mean, for, for years and years going back, you know, 25 years, 30 years, when I first started trying to decoy elk, I would take like uh, a two dimensional decoy, like a Montana or a Dutton or whatever. And I'd put it just like you did 20 yards off to the side or something trying to get their attention. But the problem with elk is, is that if that decoy has a backdrop, the elk won't see it. It, 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 I mean, everyone has seen this elk are terrible at picking things up that aren't moving. You could be standing there in blue jeans and if the elk don't smell you, they'll run, they'll walk right up to you and look at you. Like what kind of, you know, they'll walk right around you. Like you're some kind of funny blue tree. Um, but as soon as you move, if you, if you move at all, then they have you, they're experts at picking up movement, but they're terrible at picking up state things that are stationary. Now, if you put a decoy out in the middle of a field to where all they see is the silhouette of the decoy, they'll see it. But if you put it in front of anything where there's trees in the backdrop or whatever, if that decoy doesn't move 90% of the time, they don't, they don't, they don't see it. And the the reason that I like to have it on the bow is because I can make that decoy move if I need to. If I get a bull that locks up and he gets to that point where, okay, I, I should be seeing elk now. Where are they? If, if he's not going to come any further without seeing one, I can move the decoy and let him see what he's expecting to see. 
And then he'll, 90% of the time, he's going to continue coming. And when I say move, I'm talking like small movements, like a, I'll reach up and I'll just flick that ear, like bend it like a like an elk or a deer that is moving its ear. That is a natural looking movement that draws their attention. And I don't know what it means. It's kind of like a, a chick winking at a bull because it absolutely sells them on this dang thing. And that little ear flick move has, has killed a lot of elk. Um, so <clears throat> that's kind of how I use it for elk hunting. And the other thing that I, t- I tell people all the time is if you're, you know, hunting in kind of a traditional style like you and I do, where we've got somebody back behind us calling or whatever, and that bull's coming in and he he walks past you at 20 yards and you shoot him and he never knew you were there. Fantastic. You know, like I, I guess the point is hunt them just like you do. Even if you've got that decoy on the front of your bow, hunt them just like you do without the decoy. And if, if that bull never knew you were there and you shot him just in the same way that you would without ever using a decoy, beautiful but what that decoy is there for is if you get caught if you get caught drawing your bow if you end up having to move to get into the open if you get a bull that hangs up and he ain't going to come any closer without seeing an elk now you have a way to deal with that situation and you know the the classic one like we're talking about is number one hardest thing to do on a bull that's coming in looking for elk and is on red alert the number one hardest thing to do is to simply draw your bow without getting spotted and you know sometimes you have some cover that allows you to do it and sometimes you don't well if you get caught drawing the bow with that thing on the front of the bow when that bull looks over he sees the silhouette of the animal that he is expecting to see and just like aaron said rather than taking off out to 45 yards and stopping in a spot where you may or may not be able to have a shot at him, or you may or may not be able to rearrange him or anything like that. Nine times out of 10, that bull stands right there where he is. And he's sometimes he's there for a long, long time. Sometimes we've had it to where bulls that we weren't going to shoot were there for like 15 minutes walking around in circles trying to figure out what this cow is all about. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think that, um, one of the, I'm not saying that you have to, one of the, I don't mind frontal shots. Uh, they don't, they don't bug me, especially close up, certainly on elk. I've had really, uh, good luck with them. The bull I killed this year, um, frontal shot. The thing that, um, when you're hunting solo for elk, uh, Danny just brought it up coming to full draw. Cause generally what happens, you know, when the caller's back, you know, 80 yards or, you know, whatever that, that bull is looking to cross into that threshold to where the caller is, meaning he's just getting to the point. He's nosing around to where you are to shoot him, or he's crossing, you know, in front of you, get a broadside shot. <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, I set up if I can to where, cause you don't ever, when you're calling, especially solo, want to be out in the wide open. A lot of times I'll try to set up calling where there's a rise just in front of me, where that bull is going to come to the top of that rise at 20 yards <clears throat> or 30 or whatever. And when he comes, I start to see his tines. I go to full draw and take the shot. 
that part with the decoy, what it's really going to help you out with because you've already drawn uh, is him being calmer, right? I mean, you know, he's fairly calm, but he's coming in to potentially whoop someone's ass. What it also may do is stop him. And people like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, I don't want him to stop because he saw me go to full draw. I want him to stop because he sees an animal, not a human. And so he comes over that rise. Let's say he's got a, he's behind a tree. He's whatever, right? When he first pops up, so you can't get a shot, but you got the full draw. When he sees something, you know, <clears throat> he sees movement or, or human pivoting, he's going to be a lot more apt to bounce than he is if he just sees a cow and starts to like That's take right. a look. Those are all things to think about. The other one is just when you're caught out in the wide open, let's say, you know, you're moving in on a bull. And this happens a lot. The bull just screamed back. And the first thing you want to get closer, let's that bull said, well, I want to get closer to you. And this happens. So you're like out in the pucker, you know, you got some trees around you, but oh, you just see the bull coming in straight at you. You got to stop. If you have to come to full draw when he gets closer, um, it just allows a three to five second or more time for you to get that shot off. And if it's a human by a tree going to full draw and he's coming through a cedar or an alder thicket, it just doesn't work out as well as it does with a decoy. You know what? This is the God's honest truth. I have, I have not one time, not one time since I've been using these things on elk. Have I seen a bull when he catches somebody draw with that decoy on the front of his bow? Not one time have I seen a bull spin and run. Not one time. Now, literally, a bad reaction is like he kind of flinches, faces you, and then he he's there for 30 seconds, you know, gradually walking off, looking over his shoulder at you like, what the hell's going on? And it, giving you plenty of time to shoot. Um, they just it, – it saves your butt in the situation where you do get caught. And then you were talking about like, you know, solo calling or whatever. Uh, two years ago, my son Lane killed the bull on, well, it was a episode of Bowhunter TV and it was a public land over the counter bull here in Colorado. So like no idiot elk, I mean, an educated elk. And we bumped this bull and his cows out of his bed and he runs down runs down the hill. I thought he was just going to be gone, but he wasn't sure what happened. And when he had, when he got out of his bed and started to run following the cows, he had turned and what he saw were elk looking at him. Me and Lane both had decoys on. And so he runs out of sight. And, but I start giving him cow calls. And about five minutes later, here he comes back in. Well, Lane drew well, as soon as we saw the first flashes of that animal down through the trees, well, he walks into like, I don't know, 35 yards or so, and he just stops with his entire body, if, you know, facing us with most of his body behind brush. Lane didn't have no shot. Now, if you don't have the decoy on your bow in that situation and that, you know, you draw anticipating that bull's going to walk into a shooting lane and then all of a sudden he freezes up and he stops well when you get to the point where you got to let your bow down it's game over they're going to catch that and they're going to whirl and they're going to be gone and with with that decoy on your bow lane sat there and held for i don't know close to three minutes and finally he got to where he couldn't hold it anymore and you know he could he could see that bull's entire head at 35 yards and he just slowly let the bow down 
and the bull stood there looking at us, and I was just two or three yards over to the lane side. I did, there was no time to drop back the way we had bumped them out of their beds. Well, I started flicking the ear at him with my decoy, and that bull came another 10 yards right up into a, a shooting lane where Lane could actually shoot. And literally, he, he ended up drawing again, but the bull was full frontal, and just to qualify this, I don't mind a full frontal shot either, but I'll literally, I only take them if the, it, on an elk, if the elk's under 20 yards. And the reason that I do that is because there's been so many pieces of video that we've been able to sit there and really pour over. If they're under 20 yards, they don't have time to move. If they're over 20 yards and they're kind of on edge and they hear that bow go off, all they have to do is move like six inches left or right, and now you're square in the shoulder. And so this bull was 28 yards, 27 yards, something like that, full frontal. So Lane drew that second time, held as long as he could again, and let down again. And finally, the third time that he drew, the bull turned broadside enough for him to shoot him and kill him. But literally doing that without those decoys on that bull there is absolutely zero chance that bull dies zero it it had just been done yeah it had just been done but you know that solo hunting um scenario is is huge because not only yeah, I, I, you know, when you're solo hunting, one of the biggest things that you're trying to avoid is getting exactly pinpointed. It's like if you know that you have a bull coming, when he gets in there tighter and you can tell he's inside of 100 yards, if you don't have the decoy, you're always wanting to just shut up and and let him walk by you, you know, because you don't want him to be coming in looking directly at you. With And a lot of times the bull will stop at that point. You know, because he's he should be seeing elk. He's not seeing elk. Um, well, with this, I don't care if I keep calling and call them right to my feet, because when they come there, it, when they come right in and they have me pinpointed, if I'm in a position where I need to draw, regardless whether he can see me or not, nine times out of ten, I can I can do it with that decoy on. With without the decoy. If he comes in and has you pinpointed and is looking directly at you as he's coming, as soon as you move to draw, it's it's over. Yeah. And and I found the same thing when you first said a minute ago about the the you know, when you when you go to full draw, them when you don't when you when you go to full draw without a decoy, they generally blow out to forty or fifty and you have a limited amount of time and generally not great op, you know, it's not a good, you know, people are shitting their pants. Am I going to shoot? You yeah. know, it, it, and, and they- usually you got to, you got to guess the range, right? And you got to hope that he's, that he stops in a place where he can still be shot. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So the same thing on, you know, kind of shifting from, you know, elk a little bit, but with, with mule deer, depending upon, I'm talking more peeking over the top, shooting a mule deer type of a thing. Like I'm not talking about dark timber, um, only because I just don't hunt timber bucks very often, but high country, the big one is when you peek over the edge. And when I say this, it may not even pertain to the actual deer you're shooting. It may pertain to two or three other deer around that deer you're trying to get a shot at. And for those who haven't hunted high country mule deer, 
you're not exactly, it's not pinpoint accuracy. There's no GPS saying, oh, right over this portion of the cliff, the deer's bedded there. A lot of times you're looking, you're close, but there may be something blocking him. And what it may do when you first peek is a deer might see you, not the deer you're shooting, but it's not as on edge. So when you back up to loop around, they're not running down the mountain at that point. They're just like, oh, a deer just peaked. Now they may have your, you may have their attention, but it's not the attention that causes them to blow out of the country. So when you shift back over and you're like, now I know where to go and you go to full draw, that other deer that's a century, so to speak, isn't blowing out. Same reason why we keep them on our monopods. Yeah, that I mean, the non-target animals are the ones that half the time, that's who ruins the stock. And, you know, it, you know it's funny because it's really – it's that it's that silhouette. When I first when I first started using these things, for whatever reason, when you have it on the front of the bow, there's this big shooting window, and that's where you're 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 aiming through and your arrow is flying through. And I really thought I need every I need to do everything in that shooting window. And I was trying to like glass through the shooting window and 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 range through the shooting window. Well, after you know, a couple of years of using it, I figured out that you don't have to do anything except for aim and shoot through that window. All of my glassing, all of my ranging, I'm just peeking around the side of it, you know, around the side, kind of below the, the ear and, and ranging and glassing from there. And the reason is, is because that animal is so focused on the face of the decoy, the silhouette, and the face of the decoy that they, they don't really it, you can get away with a lot of things right there behind it and it's the same thing when you pop over whether it's on mule deer or anything else when they catch a little movement up above them and usually they would look up and you would be silhouetted and they see the silhouette of a man the, we all know what happened know exactly what happens all of them run out of that basin well when you pop up and they see the silhouette of an animal that they're expecting to see, just another a doe up there looking at them, um, it's a completely different reaction. Not only does it buy you time, a lot of times it allows you to just sit there and do it. You know, we'll put it on, we'll put it connected onto the tripod and the spotting scope, and you know, do it before we ever step over the edge. And then as soon as we step over the edge, we just sit down and do our glassing right through that shooting hole and sticking up above us and the tripod and all that stuff is the head of this deer. And it just keeps the basin from blowing out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. it, I always say three to five seconds. It just gives you more time. And the one thing I have found is I have never had anything um, react so badly that I was like, Oh, well, that didn't work. Now, I'm not saying like guys are like, oh, you know, for antelope, how much yeah. does it help? <laughs> antelope are weird creatures. I mean, they can just run like hell for no reason whatsoever. I mean, but when <clears throat> when you're when you let's say an antelope's flat country, it's not like you're going to be able to walk directly an antelope from 300 yards out because you have an antelope decoy on the front of your bow. But right. what, I, what I can say is if you're using micro topography, and antelope get out of the way quick and meaning i've shot it a few where they were seven to nine feet from my arrow when it got there 
it just gives you a little more time and they may stay in place a little bit longer from the shot as as well if you're using micro topography and spot and stock antelope sucks it's just a rough deal um when you pop up, um, especially if you got to pop up and go to full draw, I've had a lot of experience of popping up. And by the time I met my anchor, the antelope's gone. Yeah. It gives you three to five seconds to get that air off. Same thing. And you exactly hunt antelope. right. You hunt antelope a ton. Um, and guys have messaged me, man, I put that decoy on the antelope blew out. And I'm like, well, man, it doesn't make it a fucking gimme, right? I mean, it's not Dude, like it guaranteed. Honestly, the antelope, uh, like, well, the first thing that I tell people is that decoying in general is it's primarily a rut game, you know, a, a pre-rut and a rut game like that time of year is when you can bring animals to you that, you know, where, where crazy things happen. Um, way, you know, the early season mule deer during the velvet, uh, antelope during, you know, mid August, um, a lot of, the antelope seasons, that's what, like here in Colorado, that's when it starts, August 15th. And if you think that you're going to show an antelope decoy or a mule deer decoy during that early phase and get an animal to come to you, you're wrong. You know, you, you can use the decoy a lot of times to buy you time or to allow you to sneak through an opening or to silhouette yourself without getting nailed. But generally speaking, if you t- stick your buddy across the football field and tell him okay start walking straight at me with that decoy on how long does it take you to figure out that that is not a deer or that's not an antelope it doesn't take very long because he doesn't move anything like a deer or an antelope um but if you tell your buddy okay get 100 yards from me and now this time stay low maybe walk on your knees or find some cover for your lower body to where all the animal can see is the top of the decoy move real slow. And when the animal stops and looks directly at you, you know, freeze up for a second, um, wait till the animal kind of goes back to what they're doing before you start moving again. Now it gets real hard to distinguish that thing from an actual animal. And it's the same way with, with antelope and early season deer, but the early season antelope are freaky, and I I ended end up telling people all the time during during that early season, for whatever reason, if an antelope comes over the hill and you're already there with a decoy, a lot of times you're way better off than if you're going over the hill trying to close the gap on them. And I don't care. I mean, you've you've hunted with me, Aaron, so you know, uh, like, we're using a, a stalker decoy on the on the bow. We've got a big uh, a 3D antelope decoy that we stick out there that is so realistic. If we stuck it out there during rifle season, it'd end up full of, full of holes. Um, it doesn't matter what kind of decoy you have. And it, it, sometimes I think honestly in that mid-august time frame if a real buck walks over the hill on another buck a lot of times that buck will just leave you know what i mean yeah um and it's 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 hit or miss during that earlier season it's primarily for buying you time for the shot so i tell people just stock them stock them the way you normally would and then you know when it comes time to shoot if you get busted, because that's the hardest part of an antelope, it's not necessarily getting into within bow range. It's exposing yourself and shooting is the hardest part. Um, so 
that's what it's for during that earlier portion of the season. Now, the later you get into September, the closer to the antelope rut that you get, the crazier things will happen. That's where you can get a buck that charges into five yards and you shoot him at point blank range. Yeah, exactly. And because it's the rut. Yeah, I was just saying it's the it's the rut. And that, that goes along the lines of any animal, like when you're not hunting elk yeah. in the rut. Um you know, I mean, I don't care if you throw an elk decoy up or any, I mean, they just, they're different when they're in the the rut. The biggest difference where you talk about peeking over the cliff or whatever else is that it just shows them a human or it shows them a deer silhouette or a sheep That's or right. whatever compared. The, the one thing I don't talk about as much is, is mountain goat. And I will say like, you'll have guys up in BC, Alaska getting white suits and they'll crawl on their hands and knees. Yeah. I'm not much for doing that shit, but I will certainly that 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 decoy is pretty big. So when you're talking about a goat that's quite a ways away and you got a big opening to cross, I feel yeah. totally okay. <clears throat> I mean, you look at it, you know, three dudes, two dudes in a white suit crawling on their hands and knees. I mean, think about it. That doesn't exactly scream goat to me either. So like if you've got a goat on your decoy and I got to expose myself from 500 yards out, I have zero issue holding that bow in front of me to the side as I walk and just slowly moving. And it's a hell of a lot better than walking on your hands and knees. Um, me personally, my knees aren't getting any better. So, um, do you need it when you peek over the edge for, for goats? Not as much as other animals. Goats don't know a lot of danger from above, but what it may get them to do, and this is like the, the thing you got to, you know, think about is sometimes goats, um, will bed and when they plant, um, they don't like to wake up. They don't, they don't move. They're safe where they plant. Sometimes you don't want them to totally blow out as a human signature. So sometimes you want your, your buddy to have that decoy to pop that, up for the goat to see it to move around because it does cover a human body very well and if you've got one on your decoy and he starts to move and you know the, the standard Matt whatever gets him to look at you he'll at least look up and try to figure out what the hell you are it's not as vital as other things but when I goat hunt I always have one but for me it's mostly crossing wide open places to cover my my body um, yeah. as much as anything else. Now that's me, you know, personally, but goats is not something we all get to hunt all the time either. So, well, and it, just one little tip that I have for people when it comes to using that goat decoy or our turkey decoy or our moo cow decoy. Um, and I don't know whether you did this or not. You, I don't think you did on your goat hunt, but I am a big advocate of a, throw a white sweatshirt on over top of your stuff when you're going in with the goat decoy. Uh, if you're going in with the moo cow decoy, well, the moo cow decoy and the turkey decoys, they're black. So when I'm using that decoy in the open, I I throw a black sweatshirt on. I don't, I don't wear camouflage behind the thing. Uh, so I want to blend in. Like, you know, if I'm sitting there on my butt with a turkey decoy in front of me and I got a black hoodie on, well, now if I get another bird let's say that my decoy is pointed right at the tom and way over here to the left, there's a non-target animal once again, like a hen or something like that. And I've got that black hoodie and I'm up against the back of that decoy. Now I, 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 I look like I'm part of the decoy. And the same thing goes with the, with the mountain goat. You know, I don't go full white suit crawling around. I've, I've definitely seen that work before, but if I have it, 
I'll throw that. If I know that I'm going to try and work in behind the decoy or with the decoy, I'll throw a white sweatshirt on. Makes a huge difference. Yeah, and I didn't. I don't know what I had. Um, uh, I, you were wearing peas and carrots, I think. Uh, no, I think I had Optifade on on that last hunt. No, I, I know I had Optifade on um, on that last goat hunt, which actually is kind of, you know, it's not, uh, it's kind of gray and white or whatever, but the, the white, the white, black, like that, you know, black bear, I did the same thing. I wear a black hoodie. You know what I mean? I wear black yeah. fleece. I don't, I don't try to look camo-esque when I'm doing spot and stock black bear. Um, but I, I think with all these things on the decoy side, it's like, it's worth having at the very least with you. And at, at, at times it will true. I mean, if you think about if you get to hunt a lot or you haven't hunted that much, but you, you, you document and, you know, go through your brain of all the scenarios of the different hunts you've been on and then say, what would happen if I threw a decoy on it? And yeah, I can tell you times I didn't have that decoy on where I wish I would have had the decoy on. And, and sometimes it's laziness. Like I had to fuck around my pack. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I, I just know. didn't stop, you know, and I don't keep it on my bow all the time when I'm hiking in. Obviously, it folds up. or I'll, Like I said, I'll put it in my, you know, between my pants and my, my butt crack, whatever. But, man, I tell you, there's a few times where I literally was like, Mother, I don't even want to tell Danny this story because I was too lazy <laughs> to get off my pack. So, oh, dude, I, I've, I've been there, too. I own the company and I've done the exact same thing. You know, um, uh, another huge tip that I'll give people like like I was saying earlier, when I'm elk hunting, I try to have that thing on the bow all the time. And, um, but if you do that, you're soon going to find out that walking around through the woods like that with it on the front of the bow set up to shoot is a, it's just a pain in the ass because you're, you hook it on brush and you can't carry your bow flat down to your leg. You can't lay your bow flat down on the ground. It's, it's just cumbersome. So, what we do when we're actually covering ground with it. And like you were talking about a lot of the other species, whether it's antelope or turkeys or whatever, I might not put that thing on and, until I'm on my final approach, you know, usually it's in my pack or somewhere um, with the elk or any time that you're trying to carry it around that way. If you play with your, with your rig you can usually find a way to pivot that decoy over onto the side of the bow. And if, you, if you're using our spider wrap attachments, you just loosen them a little bit or our strap attachments. A lot of times it's, it's pretty easy. The only caveat is you can't have a big, long stabilizer on there. If you do have a big, long stabilizer, put a quick disconnect on so that you can take that stabilizer off. Now you just pivot the decoy over onto the side of the bow. So now it's on the quiver side of your bow and you get it on there, you know, as, as tight as possible so that if you had to take a shot with the decoy on the side of the bow, you could still shoot without, you know, uh, without, uh, touching your fletchings or anything. But now when you're carrying it around that way, now it's comfortable to carry. You can carry your bow flat next to your leg. You can lay it flat on the ground. It doesn't catch on things the way that it usually does. And if you end up coming over the hill and bumping some elk or running into a bull that hung up and you know we've all done it got done with a calling sequence sat there for five minutes nothing shows start to walk and bam here he is well if you've got that thing on the side of the bow you can still you still have something to hide behind you're not just there with your dick in your hand 
you know you you hide behind the decoy show them the side of your bow get an arrow knocked and as soon as you have an opportunity to to uh go ahead and point the bow at him and and reveal and and draw back and shoot you can still do it so anyway um that's my two cents but yeah for most things i don't i don't necessarily have it on the bow until you know until it's go time until you know the the final approach yeah and i i think uh and we're working on an hour and a half here one of the things danny you know brought up that i don't do and i'm going to start doing is uh putting a whether i'm on a a stock or you know whatever let's say like danny was just you know you're going through some thick whatever tag alders or you know i don't pick it um you can put that between your chest harness and your body really well, your yeah. bino harness. And that's something, because I usually tucked it back, like I said, in my butt crack. And so I, like, for that, it's much easier for, for me to, you know, it doesn't fall out. I don't have to worry about losing it when it's in your your chest harness. And I, I actually... um you know, think, you know, thinking about it or whatever, like, I'm like, okay, when I go on a final approach and I have my bino harness on, I've got whatever, you know, backup headlamp and survival shit, whatever. It's like, you don't really like, you could be laying on your side, right. And pin down and easily pull that out, unfold it, strap it to your bow. And again, I always assess in great detail what went wrong and right on a hunt. And, I could think of in the last five years, six different times uh, when I was started really thinking about this to where having that between my, you know, cause I, I was lazy. I left it on my pack. I didn't bring it with me, whatever, where if it was right there, especially in deadfall timber, when you're trying to creep in and you're like, okay, I'm within 50, right? I'm within 60. And <clears throat> the last 20 minutes would have been a pain in the ass for it to be on my bow. Now I'm in the killing zone, pull it out between your chest rig and your body put it on the front of your bow because it's, you know, with deadfall and, and especially mixed deadfall and timber, those elk can pop out of nowhere and they see you well before you see them. Where if you've got that and you're peeping and creeping around where I probably would have left it like, man, it's going to be a pain to bring that through there. I don't want to lose it. If I have it tucked in and I'm not going to bring a day pack, it'll fit right there. And that, that was a something you showed me this last trip that I'd never done. And I think everybody should probably do that. Oh yeah. It, it, it's, it's pretty handy for, it's really handy. I mean, you just put the ears downward. Like I said, it folds up in, into about the size of a Frisbee and you just tuck that thing up underneath your binoculars and it rides around that way pretty dang easy. And like you said, you can do it laying down if you needed to. But, you know, the funniest comment to me that we ever get is that, you know, the guy that says, I don't need a decoy. Well, yeah, most of my, most of the animals in my career were shot without decoy same with you you know and you sometimes you don't sometimes you know you might decide man i've got this thing dead to rights i can see him bedded down right there i can see his body i'm gonna just draw back and shoot him we'll draw back and shoot him and you know but half the time if you throw that decoy on the front you unless it's high wind conditions you're gonna do the same thing if you draw back and shoot him and he never sees you great fantastic you didn't need the decoy. It was there just in case, but you didn't need it. But like you, you had said this to somebody before. Yeah. You don't need a decoy till you do. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I just look back at all the shit I've not. Yeah. I mean, again, just like social media, right? Everything you, you remember, 
like when I lived in Washington and Oregon, I remember the sunny yeah. days. I didn't really remember the rainy yeah. ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, everything's, you know, sprinkles and fairy dust and farts, right? Or whatever. Oh, I don't need a decoy. I get it, right? You're you're awesome and you're that good. I need one sometimes. And I, I have shot a bunch of stuff without a decoy. But then when I think about it again, let's rewind how many times that would have helped compared. Yeah. And that's yeah. when you really start thinking about it. There's some things where I, I, like I said, I look back and I mean, a couple of times I didn't have one on an elk hunt on my bow and, uh, I just like, man, I don't even want to tell Danny because I kn- I knew for a fact that decoy would have changed the outcome of me not getting the damn elk. Um, and movement is the key with elk. Like when they see you move, like people get wrapped up in camo. Camo was not bad, right? I'm not saying don't wear camo, whatever. I'm a solids guy. Movement yeah. is the devil. And yeah, when they yeah. see a, I mean, I don't know that... Yeah, like, well, and go through all as I'm going, go through all of the options of decoys you have. Cause I recently saw that wild boar. Um, that thing looks handy for spot and stock pig hunting, but all the different options you got. Oh, <clears throat> shoot. We got uh, mule deer, whitetail, elk, elk, and on the mule deer and whitetails, we've got uh, antlers that come with them. And I highly recommend if you're going to get a deer decoy, get the antlers that go with it. Cause then you can run it as a buck or a doe. You just, they're just accessory antlers that go on there. And then you can, you can run it as a buck or a doe, depending upon the situation. Then we've got a buck antelope, a doe antelope, um, Eastern and, and light fan turkeys, um, uh, Moose caribou, our caribou decoy works awesome. It's brand new this last year. Uh, moose, caribou, bighorn sheep, mountain goat, hogs. And there's probably a couple that I'm forgetting too, um, but quite a few. And then we've also got a, a little line of 3D decoys, uh, turkey decoys and, and uh, goose decoys called wind drifters that are pretty dang slick. They're super ultra light decoys that uh, have really... <laughs> realistic movement just any little breeze makes them you know you set up three of those turkey decoys and if you get any little breeze at all it looks like all three turkey decoys are sitting there scratching yeah and there's some videos if you have uh my outdoor tv uh danny's got some pretty cool videos and then obviously on instagram and uh, danny's website um where can they find you at your you know where can what website where can they find you on social that kind of stuff all right. Yeah. So uh, our our website, where we do ninety percent of our sales from, um, is Ultimate Predator Gear. UltimatePredatorGear.com, um, and we're Ultimate Predator Gear on Instagram. My personal is Danny Ferris on Instagram, and we're not hard to find. If you just if you just Google Stalker Decoys, you will you will find us. Gotcha. You will find us or call Aaron Snyder and ask him how to get a hold of us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I get that a lot. Um, Everybody message Aaron Snyder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. That's funny. I, I uh, If people, though, again, on the, the, the My Outdoor TV or Sportsman Channel, whatever, with My Outdoor TV, you can go pick it and watch whatever you want. Um, I recently grabbed that mostly to make, make fun of Danny, but the. That's exactly what he did. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, and and uh, the wind drifter turkey decoys. 
I'm not a fan of stationary decoys. You got what you got, right? You, you, you run out, you put a stake in the ground and pray to God, maybe the wind blows a little bit. Those things, I can tell you, like if I walked in from a hundred yards out and saw that, I'd be knocking an arrow. It Dude, looks like they're ba- looks like they're feeding. Uh, they're they're badass. Like they're not um, they're not a, a work of art like a Dave Smith or you know an Avian X. You know they're they're a simple type decoy, but man, three of them weigh less than a pound. Um, they collapse into into nothing. We've got a. <coughs> We've got a combo on our website website called a run and gun combo that comes with a stalker decoy for your bow and then three of these little wind drifter decoys. Well, when you fold that stalker decoy up and you stick it in your you know in a little bag or backpack with those wind drifter decoys, you're you've got four decoys that weigh like a pound all together, pound and a half, something like that. And I mean super light. Um and then when you go and you set them up, number one, you don't need a ground blind, which is beautiful. I love that. And what I'll usually do is I'll put those wind drifters, or at least the two hens out there five yards in front of me. And I will back up to some cover with a black sweatshirt on and then sit right down on flat on my ass, like flat on my butt on the ground. And I'll have that stock bow mounted stalker decoy in front of me. And now... I am one of the turkeys in the turkey set, basically. And, you know, you, you got your wind drifters that move around, look like they're scratching, you know, out there in front of you. You can move your 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 stalker bow-mounted decoy side to side and make it look like a, a, a strutting tom that's strutting over those two hens. And, it, dude, when it happens like that and they come into that setup and you end up, you know, shooting them at – five yards from the ground, no ground blind, nothing between you drawing back right in their face. It's just, dude, it's, to me, it's the coolest way that there is to hunt them with a bow. Like there's nothing else compares to the adrenaline rush that I get doing that. Yeah. And it's not for anybody that's tried to hunt <clears throat> turkeys on the ground. It's not the easiest thing in the world to accomplish. No. It's a pain in the butt, but I've done a couple ambushes and you can do it, but, uh, it uh, it's a pain in the butt. I don't I don't do it without the decoy now because it just it <clears throat> for me it's hardly even worth trying unless you're going to drop a bomb on one and you're trying to hit something the size of a freaking golf ball to a baseball to kill it. So they yeah super handy. But um, well, and the, you know the only other thing that I would say about that that I should throw in there is, dude, if it's if shotgun season's open, don't go doing this on public ground during a shotgun <clears throat> season. You know what I mean? That's the, it's just stupid. Um, use some common sense. If you're the only person on a place, you know, that nobody else is around, uh, you know, then make the judgment call, but don't be stupid. Yeah. Don't and go. actually one of the pages, I think they just got taken off a of social. You had poked your head through glassing and, uh, one of the pages that's a big fan of mine, um, kind of a hate page. They had posted a song like dumb ways to die or whatever, yeah, something people, like that. Yeah, but people need to realize, I mean, whatever, but the people need to realize, like, we're on private ground where we were at, so poking your head through a decoy and glassing through it, unless Scotty and me decide to shoot Danny, there's there's nobody on that land. Um, yeah, that was a sh- that was for Audad. <clears throat> yeah, Audad, for Audad. Private Texas Ranch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then, you know, same thing, like, with, with using these, I get people's concerns, and I'm glad Danny brought this up before we got off. I do not worry about getting shot in both season. 
Now, I'm not saying it can't happen, but can. it, it could, right? It certainly could. But I don't worry about that as much um, with the decoys. Now, I can tell you if I was hunting in a mixed season in eastern plains, yep, I'd be a little more on, on public land, a little more cognizant of it. But uh, Danny said it used common sense. Anytime there's a mixed season and you're on public land, use some common sense, right? But when you're on private land or you're bow only, like I certainly do not worry about getting shot by a rifle on a high country mule deer hunt, but there is some orange flagging that comes on the decoy. You can wrap around, differentiates it. If you were super nervous, you could take your own little orange panel, um, you know, and you could put, if you wanted to break it up, put some Sharpie black lines and put it towards the bottom of the decoy. I'd keep it away from the face of it um, if you wanted to, but common sense, um, I always just figure it's a given on some of this stuff. I'm glad Danny brought it up, but yeah, yeah, I, I always do too, but it's, you know, for some, it's not like you said, we've got those safety orange straps that you can show or you can hide behind the decoy. And honestly, the animals don't seem to care about the safety orange straps on there at all. I always I get people that ask, you know, well, if you put that orange strap across that thing's neck, what, you know, how do the elk or mule deer act? And I, I was like, well, they, they don't really act like anything. Have you ever seen a radio collared, you know, deer or elk with a big red radio collar around them? Are all the other animals running from it? Like it, 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 it might get you eventually, but generally speaking, I haven't seen a big difference. Uh, between using it and not. But, you know, what I just tell people is it's like making the decision to ride a street bike. You know, if you're if you're riding in places where you feel safe, great. If you're if you're riding in, you know, high traffic places, you might want to throw a helmet on or throw the orange strap across the front of the dang decoy. But if you're if you're in a place where the traffic's just ridiculous and you don't feel safe, then don't ride the motorcycle. Don't use the decoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I would agree. Um, And again, like with these decoys, with, with Turkey, public land, things like that, there's, it's just, again, you use your, use your brains. Um, Yeah. I've never heard of anybody. I'm sure there's incidents where people have, but I've never heard of any incidents with the decoying thing. Um, But, you know, I see people fanning and thing with, 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 with turkeys, whatever, just don't do it on, on public land. You'll be, I wouldn't be strolling into Colorado on public land during a rifle season uh, or a, or a shotgun season. It just doesn't make sense. Dude, we've been using them for long, long before this decoy came out, you know, and the only difference is, is that back when we were using the other two dimensional style decoys out there, you had to have a buddy in front of you. So Aaron would be in front carrying the decoy and both of us are hiding behind that one decoy. And then when it came time to shoot, you'd have to draw and step out from behind it because usually handling it just by yourself, you, you, you just couldn't do it. You know, well, the beauty thing about these is that you can handle them hands free, but you got to be smart with them. Just like you were with any other, other decoy that's been used for ages. Yeah. Hundred percent. Well, <clears throat> man, I should probably go because uh, I've got a meeting in eight minutes, and I'm uh, about to piss my pants. Um, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. I had a fun time on the the hunt. P- appreciate the friendship. It was it was a kick ass time. That was fun. No, man, I've been looking forward to that one for a long time, and and hopefully we're going to be doing some more stuff together 
in the future. And thanks for having me on and appreciate you, brother. Yeah, appreciate you too, man. Everybody, thanks for tuning in and uh, check out Ultimate Predator Gear Decoys. You guys have a good day.